The Insulone Podcast is brought to you by Cybionics, an emerging CGM brand that focuses on simplifying how individuals aged 18 and above monitor and control their blood sugar levels. Upon becoming available on the market, the Cybionics GS1 CGM has helped users worldwide navigate the complexities of diabetes management with more confidence and peace of mind. Thanks to Cybionics, now more people are able to view and share their real-time glucose data, receive customizable glucose alarms, and generate full AGP reports, all directly from an intuitive Cybionics app, empowering them with the necessary information to make better decisions about their health. Cybionics combines data accuracy and comfort of wear, which is important to us all, with a feature-rich app. The 14-day scanning-free and calibration-free Cybionics GS1 CGM aims to deliver reliable, seamless diabetes management experiences. For more, check out CybionicsCGM.com. This is the Insulone Podcast, where I, own Costello, try to redefine diabetes. In this week's episode, I was like, I'm Jack, I'm diabetic. I want to do a challenge that's going to test my diabetes as well as my physical, my mental limit. And then as I was like talking more about it, it was gaining more traction. People were like, hang on, you're diabetic. I was like, I know someone who's diabetic, but this is so cool. Like, they'd love to hear about this. But before we get into that, everything you hear on the Insulone podcast is from my own personal experience. And if you have any worries or issues regarding your diabetes, please contact a medical professional. Now, let's get stuck into this episode. What's happening, everybody? Owen here. I hope you're all keeping well. Thank you again for joining me for another episode of the Insulone Podcast. I will be, I'll be dead honest with you. I have just recovered from a low blood sugar, and that was my phone just vibrating. I was, <clears throat> I was out for a long run this morning, and I only had one low blood sugar throughout the run, which I was very happy about. Um, and when I came in the door just now, my bloods dropped again, had a few glucose tablets and have waited for my bloods to come back up. But you know, when you're kind of still in that headspace of I'm not fully with it because my bloods haven't, haven't fully come up. So I was thinking, will I wait to record the intro? But then I was like, ah, no, look, this is a podcast for diabetics. They will all understand understand what's going through my brain right now. But saying that, it also fits into this week's episode. So the guest that I have on this week, his name is Jack Anderson. He is from Bristol in the UK, and he is a type 1 diabetic. He also, just this year, completed an Ironman, which is a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile cycle, and then a marathon just to finish it off. He also did a 200 kg squat on the same day just for fun, I guess. Jack wanted to to show off when he could. So an amazing story, and I know you're going to get a lot from this episode. So I need to let my brain and blood sugar come back up fully. So I will let you get stuck into the episode. Enjoy, and I will chat to you soon. Yeah, so work work's an interesting thing, but I'm just like really grateful at the minute that there isn't too much pressure on me to be doing a whole a whole great deal, and I I'm healthy and girlfriend's healthy and 
we've got a little boy on the way, so every, everything's good, man. There you go. There's there's not much you can complain about, really, is there? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> is exactly that. Thing. Exactly that. Exactly that. Okay, Jack, I want to get stuck into the story yeah, that man. you have to tell. All right, because yeah. it's probably an episode I've been most excited for, even just this week. <laughs> nice. right, because I watched the documentary last night, and I was like, "This lad is an animal," and <laughs> I'm fascinated by the mindset of people that do those sort of events or races or challenges. Mm -hmm. And I'm even more so interested around it because you're a type one diabetic. So Mm -hmm. before we jump into that, do you want to just give us a brief overview of a bit of your diagnosis story when you were diagnosed? And yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was diagnosed on the 2nd of January, 2015, and I was 15 at the time. And so for me, it, was, it wasn't really my own. I, I didn't really notice it myself. It was more an observation of my mum. So she, my mum noticed that I was like uh, losing a lot of weight. I noticed myself that I was obviously peeing a lot, drinking a lot. And I, I wasn't feeling 100%, but I also wasn't feeling terrible. Um, and either way, like this, this was going on for a couple of weeks and my mum was obviously doing what any mum would do and sort of Googling the symptoms that I had. And, um, she sort of like had an inkling that it was type one diabetes. So she was like, right, well, we're going to take you to the doctors and go and get you checked out. Um, and I remember quite quickly, I just had all the, like, I had a blood test, had a urine test. They found ketones and found that my blood sugars were like astronomical. They were like very high. And then like made the diagnosis on the spot. Um, and that was sort of it, really. I, I remember hearing it for the first time and just having absolutely no idea what diabetes was. I hadn't learned about it at school. The only, under, the only sort of uh, thing that I knew about diabetes was that it happened to fat people, <laughs> which like being, being 15 and uneducated was just like, I'm actually sort of glad that that's all I thought it was at the time because I think if I actually knew what it was like I would have been a bit more upset about it but at the time I was like nah I I sort of had it in my brain that um I'd be able to just get like a prescription and I'd be good in two weeks (laughs) and obviously that wasn't the case um so then I just yeah I mean like the, the the diagnosis was fine um it was well I I suppose you're you're, you you obviously know the situation when I was in when I was in hospital and like where I stayed and I think that definitely like formed my mindset a little bit and sort of uh probably made me the way that i am in terms of how i view the condition um so you were diagnosed obviously quite quickly you said on the spot essentially on yeah when were you then admitted into hospital same day so yes i was i i mean it was a it was it's all a bit of a blur to be honest but um I think it was like the Thursday, it was like the th- like a Wednesday or a Thursday and I had all the tests. They then said that they needed to take me to hospital to lower my blood sugars down and start getting insulin back into my system and just check to see if I was like going into any sort of state of DKA, which like thankfully I wasn't. Um, and the diabetic doctor, specialist doctor that I needed to see was like taking the day off, like it was like taking the day and the weekend off. So then they had to keep me in for like four or five days in hospital. And I mean, like 
those four or five days were like, like I, I can only remember like bits of it, but man, it was, it was just crazy from like start to finish. So like obviously when you're um, sort of like pre-diagnosed type one and you've lost a load of weight, that like every, everything you eat once you get once you once you're taking insulin on board again is like it, it's just gonna <laughs> like result with you gaining a load of weight so my weight went from like something like 69 kegs to like 81 kegs over like five days and the amount of insulin i was taking was a joke i was having like 40 units of long acting every morning and, and evening i was having a base unit for each meal not even with the insulin that i was taking for the meal a base unit of insulin of like 25 per meal and I was eating like five or six times a day because I was like a 15 year old boy that had like <laughs> it was like in the middle of puberty started going to the gym and was just hungry or hungry and hormonal all the time so I was eating an absolute truck load of food and like taking the best part of like 300 units of insulin a day it was just ridiculous um, and had you any idea of the fact that this was now going to be a lifelong condition or did you still think that like, um, I'm just going to get a prescription and everything will be okay? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, I think I was, um, I, I, I was just still in like the complete sort of like unknown phase, like didn't know how this condition was going to affect me. I didn't know, I didn't know how I was going to have to rearrange my life to facilitate the condition. I didn't, I didn't know anything. So the five days I just remember being told like a lot of information that probably only half of which went in. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I think, I think I was, I, th I think I found it hard when I was first diagnosed because I, I hadn't got, I wasn't able to accept that I was just unfortunate that I happened to, uh, have di diabetes. I still had it in my head that you know oh, I've done something to to get this. I've like I've eaten too much. I've eaten too many sweets. I've eaten too much <laughs> crap. I've I've done something for me to deserve this. Um. So for like a, and like you know you know what it's like. I was I was like fifteen. I just started training. I was like I think looking back now, I was like massively insecure. I like was sort of like the big sporty kid at my school and. I was sort of like, I'm like, I've been going to the gym for three months. How, how am I now di diagnosed as type one diabetic? Like for me, there was just so many bits of it that just didn't make any sense. Um, so with that, I like, I really struggled for, I mean, I, I, I've, I've told people it was three years, but I think, I think in reality it was a lot longer than that. I think it like, I think it probably was from when I was like 15 to around like the 18, 19, that it was in its worst, but I pretty much was just like rebellious against my diabetes. So pretended that it was like, just not pretended, but acted like it was a condition that I just didn't have to choose to pay any attention to. So I would choose to like go out without any sweets or without my testing kit. And I'd miss my injections and like my, and as a result of that, like my HbA1c was whack. Uh, my numbers were just like all over the shop. I also, and, and like still to this day, I'm like an absolute wimp when it comes to needles. Like I just hate them. Um, you really? But like, but, oh yeah, honestly, <laughs> honestly. But um, not, not the perfect condition to be afraid of needles. Really. No, <laughs> it's almost the worst. Um, but yeah, so I would like choose to avoid taking insulin. And like, as I was, as I was like growing up, like, so like like sixteen seventeen was when it was at its worst because like my my understanding of uh, like nutrition training just wasn't uh, very vast. So I was like, oh, it's fine. Like I'm still 
I'm still alive. I'm still able to play my rugby. I'm fine. Um, but you know, I was having like hypos on the field and it was, it was just not good. Um, and then I think the change, I think the, the change of mindset of when I was like, I'm going to live against my diabetes to, I need to manage this condition better was when I was 18 and decided that I wanted to be a personal trainer. And I was like, right, well, I can't be there trying to be a health advocate if I've got a condition, if I've got like a, like a chronic condition that I'm choosing to ignore and choosing to put off. At which point I then started to understand a little bit more about it. And actually, if I manage my diabetes a little bit better, I'll, I'll gain the muscle that I want to gain. I'll, I'll get the PBs that I want to hit. I'll, you know, it was becoming more important to me. And I realized that my health wasn't something that I could just take for granted because the condition would obviously affect it. And sort of, I suppose, a result of me not looking after it is, and I, I, I wish I could tell you the exact name of the condition that I have, but I have like an issue with my kidney from where I was overeating protein when I was like 15, 16, that I now have to take Ramapril every day um, for like, I think like kidney function. Um, and it was just because like my idea of nutrition was like no carbs, high protein, like just 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 terrible um and i suppose that's protein were you eating oh my god um i it was probably like five to six hundred grams maybe even more a day yeah man like i like i'm telling you now so i was i was i was 15 right and i was i was like i just started going to the gym and my goal was just to be like as big as rich piano i was like i want to be huge So I was, I was like overtraining like a madman. I was just eating pro, like I was eating protein because I thought that's what was going to get me big. So I was, I was having like four or five protein shakes a day. I was having like 20 egg omelets. Like it was a joke. Um, and like, I, I literally wish that I could sort of, uh, go back and just slap that 15 year old kid and just get like, teach him a lesson in terms of like, or, or just just even have a conversation with him to to try and explain things a little bit better. But that but that is why, like fast forward six years, if you like, I'm now so so keen to share my story and to tell people what I've been through because there are a few things that newly diagnosed diabetics and even people who haven't got conditions and people that have just got into training can still avoid doing that will like save them so much grief and whatever down the line. Um, so do you think that you kind of got a better grasp of your diabetes and came to accept it more when you learned more about it as a condition? Yeah, absolutely. So when I, when I, when I was obviously like thinking of like becoming a PT, like health was obviously something that was on my radar a lot more and it was a lot more important than just like, I don't know whether my arms filled out the large t-shirt or not and, 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 th- and things like that. So then I started taking it like more seriously because I was helping people with other conditions and it was important that I was able to sort of um, sympathize with these people being like, although I may not have the condition that you have, or even if it's somebody that's just like weak or, or slightly overweight, it is still like, uh, I suppose a condition like it's still it's still something about you that you're like you're trying to improve mm. so I had something that needed looking after and something that I wanted to improve and something that would make my life better but I was like choosing not to do that so that was sort of the big change point where I was like right 
I need to look after this and I need to actively take my own advice, which is going to be to take the steps to make my condition better. Um, and I mean, to be honest, man, like we can both have a bit of a laugh today when I talk about the Ironman because it's only really in the last probably like couple of months, probably actually since my Ironman that I've looked back at what I've done, what I've done and just been like, man, you were, you were an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till everybody hears. So did you, did you feel that because you had a new sense of responsibility training yeah, absolutely. clients? Absolutely. Felt as absolutely. If that, look, I it's like, look um, myself. It's, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I think you'll probably agree. It's like if you're gonna if you're gonna sell something, you need to believe in it, and you need to almost like take your own advice or or buy into what you're selling. And I felt like I couldn't sell somebody a product or a service which was going to help improve their life if I wasn't taking the steps to improve my own. Mm. So. To use the example, I think that a personal trainer, and I'm I, like, I don't think that every personal trainer should be in like immaculate health because I think like perfect health looks completely different for so many different people. Mm. But I think it's not a good idea to be a personal trainer if you are overweight. And that that, that is my opinion before like anybody just thinks I'm bashing fat people. I'm not, I'm just saying like, if you're, if your job as a personal trainer is to help people get into healthy habits and to exercise and to manage their nutrition or just to be aware of what they eat and maintain a healthy lifestyle, it is in your best interest that the face of your business, which is you are a representation of what you are trying to sell to people. And that's why I genuinely believe that like if, if you're like really overweight or whatever as a personal trainer and you're trying to help people lose weight, it's like you need to make an example of yourself before you can then start to help other people in my personal opinion, which mm. is obviously like, like it shouldn't matter to anybody else. That's just how I feel. Um, so when Jack, <laughs> did you make the insane decision from obviously <laughs> continuing to be a personal trainer who cares about people's health yeah. and primarily you care about your own health and that's obviously the purpose of how you train but when did you make the decision to be healthy and have healthy habits to then do an iron man <laughs> um it was um i i think it sort of just happened by chance i think everything sort of happened like like so so i'll, I'll explain so um in in the lockdown I think like a lot of other people, I had a lot of time on my hands and I was thinking one day just about how I have this condition that makes me so very different to other people, but not a lot of people know about it because I'm so private about it. So I came with the idea that I wanted to do something for charity being like Diabetes UK and to really make a statement of how this condition makes my life harder and then taking on a challenge that was going to push my condition, but also like my physical capabilities and my mental sort of limit to its absolute limit. Um, so I was out for a run with one of my friends one morning and we were just sort of thinking like, you know, we need to do something that's going to draw attention to yourselves or, or that's going to draw attention to me even. And, um, 
so I'd moved into this flat in Bristol and my landlord had left a bike at the flat. So me and my housemate were like cycling every now and again. And just outside of Bristol, there was this uh, marine lake, which is the lake that I swim in in the documentary. And we'd cycle over there like every now and again because the weather was nice. And we'd, we'd like take our budgie smugglers and we'd just jump in and like have a laugh. And I so like it's also important to note that like this time last year I couldn't swim <laughs> like I I couldn't swim like the only thing I can recall swimming was like for my 50 meter badge when I was like a wee nipper <laughs> like, <laughs> like I hadn't swam I'd never ridden my bike I'd never ridden a, like a like a road bike I'd just been on like a mountain bike going to school and whatever but there was a bike outside the flat that me and my housemate were like we were going out on and then I'd like playing rugby I'd always run every now and again um so either way, like I was just talking to one of my friends. We were like, well, we could do a big run. And I was like, be, being like well-trained, I found that what the, the, the difficulty with picking a challenge was that there wasn't a lot of things that like really scared my mental ability because I was like, I know that physically I could run a marathon. Like I could walk a marathon if I needed to. And I think a lot of people could do that. So the idea of like just completing a marathon was like, or like, or like something like running like that. Like it just wasn't a big enough challenge for me because I was like, I, you know, I can do it. Like it's, it's obviously an incredible um, feat of fitness for people that go and complete them. But I, I just didn't feel intimidated by that challenge. And You're then saying one of my that to somebody who's training for a marathon, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I but, decided but, yeah. that I'm going to do one in April because I've never done one. So I said, man, but Matt, okay, okay, so here's, 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 here's the thing. <laughs> you will, you will be, you will absolutely storm it and, and it will be fine. But like, and here's the thing, the marathon probably doesn't scare you, right? You just want to complete it. Mm. Well, after watching yeah, like, your documentary last night, I'm like, I want to do two Ironman. <laughs> <laughs> How can I trump this dude? Um, so, so either way, one of my, one of my friends is like, oh, why don't you like, like, you know, you, you're going over to this Marine Lake got a bike you you can run so why don't you think about a triathlon and i was like dude i can't swim i'm like how do you think i'm going to be able to swim in a triathlon either way this then sort of like got the cogs in my brain turning and i was like you know i was like a triathlon would be pretty cool so i was like looking up the distances and i think this is like the pure naivety which i'm like quite glad that i i am this way but I was I was looking up all the different triathlons and I just saw like Iron Man. I was like, that sounds fucking cool. I was like, that sounds that sounds cool. And then I was like, what? I was like, what actually is that? Like, how how far is it? And I didn't even really look at how far it was. I was just like, I just had in my head. I was like, diabetic Iron Man. I was like, that sounds badass. So how far so is it? It's a three point eight kilometer swim. 180 kilometer bike ride and then a marathon so a 44k run <laughs> that is insanity um <laughs> so i didn't even know how and be bearing in mind at this point when i've agreed to do it i can't swim i'm like okay while i've got the time on my hands i'm gonna do it so i and like so so step one was just like i thought about it i told a couple of my mates about it and i set up a gofundme page and then I put it on my Instagram and I was like, right, it's on Instagram now. It's going to have to be done. Um, so I gave myself the time limit that I wanted to do it before I was 21. So I did it when I was 20. And so I, I had the date. I had the distances. 
And then I was just sort of sat there in June, like, how on earth do I do this? So um, I reached out to a, to a guy on Instagram and he started coaching me. Um, and really from there, I just, like, I had, I had the date that I knew that I wanted to complete it by. And then I was just, just sort of worked backwards. So I was like, right, I'm going to need to learn how to swim. So every day I'd watch like a 15 minute YouTube video on how to swim. And then I'd go and practice whenever I'd swim. Um, I'd just spend hours cycling and, and hours running and the, the structure was coming along. And I had another guy, another one of my really good friends who helped with the final like two or three months of programming, which again, like saw me through the day. How much time were you giving yourself to do this, Jack? Yeah, four months. Okay. And so you, you didn't start off with any real structure to your training. You just kind of started from... I'm going to get in the water and I'm going to get on the bike. Yeah. I, I, I just, I, I mean like, and that's why, that's why it's funny now is that I think what, I mean, what, what happened was that I said that I was going to do it. And then as every week was going on, I remember, I, I remember I was like, I was like, fucking hell, this is a big challenge. Like the thing is, I, I didn't know how far 3.8 K was in the water. So I like, I got in and the, the length of the marine lake is like 250 meters. And I remember like doggy paddling to one end and I was like, fucking hell, that was really hard. <laughs> and then someone was like, yeah, you got to do that like another 17 times. And I was like, oh Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't even have any goggles when I started swimming. I was swimming in budgies and a little spandex hat. <laughs> so, yeah, I think one of, the, one of the, the standout quotes from the documentary when I watched it last night was when somebody, the interviewer asked you, what's your experience swimming? And you said... Can I swim? I I don't drown for ten minutes. <laughs> I thought that was so yeah. funny. <laughs> so your experience of swimming leading up to it was not drowning in the water for ten minutes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you now have that. to do this massive challenge. Mm. So what did a typical week of training look like for you? How did you split it? Um. So I would start the week with my lifting. So. And this this is how I, I program for the majority of my clients is that like the the high intensity sessions come at the start of the week when motivation to train is high, um, and also like when when energy levels tend to be a little bit higher. And then as the week tailors off, the duration of sessions go up, the intensity of the sessions come down. So I found that like Monday would normally be like my tempo running sessions where I was looking at like building my speed, and I was also squatting. Um, and then Tuesday would either be like a bike session or a swim or both. Wednesday would be the same. Again, these sessions would be anywhere from like sort of like one to four hours long. And then Thursday again would be another strength session. Intensity would be down a little bit. So it'd probably be some like paused squats rather than like regular squats at like a slightly lower percentage, making sure that I was like strong in all the positions and doing some like lower body accessories and some core work. Friday again would just be some more triathlon and on Saturday I'd have a long brick session which is where you'd like build up your distances so it'd start off at I don't know it could be like 50k on the bike and then a 20k run or something like that or like a, like a 10k run and then just just build it up week on week um I mean the, the the funny thing was is that before the Ironman on the day in October I hadn't actually swam 3.8k I hadn't ridden 180k on the bike and I hadn't ever run a marathon. So it was like PB distances for like mm. for all of them at the same time. Well, I was going to ask you, what was the furthest distance that you had done in each of the three prior to 
the actual race day? Um, so the swim, I think I swam like two and a half K was the furthest I'd swam before the race, before, before my day. I rode, I, I, me and my friends went on a, on a 100 mile bike ride, which was like pretty much the same as the bike ride on the day. So it was like 12 miles off. Um, and I ran, I ran 20 miles was my longest thing. But yeah. So it, I mean like my training, my training was really specific. Like I, so like I, I obviously did the squat before I did the Ironman. Um, yeah, just to point out for people here, Jack <laughs> also decided to throw in a 200 kg squat the same day as the as the Ironman just just for just for fun, I guess. Jack was it? Yeah. Well, well, yeah. So the, the thing was is that um, <laughs> the the coach that I had at the time asked me to so like 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 typically a, a triathlete isn't like a particularly muscly person, and obviously my my training background is strength training. I played a lot of rugby and did a lot of Olympic weightlifting. So um, he was like, look, we can either go full send with the triathlon stuff and you're going to lose a lot of muscle, but you'll probably get a better time or we can keep the muscle. And obviously like the ego of the ego in me was like, oh no, I want to stay quite jacked if I can. So I was like, we're good. So we're, we're just going to squat. And I was squatting once a week. And my, the best ever squat that I, I had done previously was 200 kilos back when I was 18. And I was like, as I was squatting every week, my squat was getting better and better and better. And I was like, you know what? I was like, if I squat every week, come October, I could probably get quite close to 200 again. And then I text my coach being like, I've got this really stupid idea and tell me to fuck off if you think it's, if it's like really far fetched, but I'd like to squat 200 kilos on the same day. And he was like, no, let's do it. And I was like, <laughs> that is exactly what I wanted to hear. <laughs> so yeah, then exactly. So then that was, that was the goal. And like, I mean, that was, I mean, that was stupid. Um, but I think it just makes the day sound a little bit more badass. So absolutely. Yeah. To throw that in for good measure. And I think what I, what I gathered from the documentary itself is how much you focus on the idea of mind over matter. And it comes through quite clearly in the documentary and Mm -hmm. feel that look, I'm not going to do these distances prior to the race day itself. Were you yeah. so confident in your mental ability to just take you through that race day? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't even really know where this mindset came from because it, it was like so laser sharp on the day and it wasn't something that I practiced for. It wasn't even something that I thought about. It was just something that I felt came naturally to me. Like I put a lot, I put an awful lot of weight on my shoulders in terms of what I wanted to achieve. And I think for me, the power of like accountability, like the fact that I had like over like, I think like 3000 pounds in donations and I had sparked the conversation of talking about diabetes for so many people. Like it started, it, the thing, the thing is, is it, it, it snowballed. So it started off as I was like, I'm Jack. I'm diabetic. I want to do a challenge that's going to test my diabetes as well as my physical, my mental, a bit like, like limit. And that's all that it started off as. And then as I was like talking more about it, it was gaining more traction. People were like, hang on, you're diabetic. I was like, I know someone who's diabetic, Like, this is so cool. Like they'd love to hear about this. And then I, and then I, I felt like I wasn't really doing it for me as much. I felt like I was doing it for them as well. And then like when the donations were coming in and seeing the amount of people that had put their like trust in me and 
were like expect and maybe not even expecting it they like admired that I was saying that I was going to do it but like I really took the I really took that and ran with it so in my head I was like you have to finish this and I, I and I've told myself I was like if it takes you 24 hours to do it or if it even takes you two days to do it or even if you have to cross the line in a, in a wheelchair you're going to cross that line and it doesn't it doesn't matter how you get across it just matters that you complete it because it's not about the time you get or how pretty it is or if you stay on your feet for the whole run it's about the it's the principle of saying you're going to do something and then doing it and not waving your white flag and accepting that you have a condition that makes you different that means that you can't go and do these big feats of fitness and strength or whatever and that's exactly what I wanted to prove it wasn't about it being pretty or it being a good time or whatever it was just about completing something that I that 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 terrified me like I purposely bit off something way bigger than what I could have like chewed at the time because I wanted it to be a challenge that I could look back on and say like you had no right to do that was there ever a time leading up to the race in terms of the last week or few days as it's getting closer and closer and closer and closer Mm. were Mm. you ever in doubt of whether or not you'd do it no no I was I was really excited to do it um I mean like I I was I was a little bit nervous just because it was a it was a big day and you know I there was like a lot of people on board like we had a couple of companies on board um and actually I I can talk a little bit about the documentary as well because it was an interesting story how that came to just like be a thing um but again I felt like because I wasn't doing it for me I was doing it for so many other reasons it was like it was always in my head that I was going to do it. And I was just really, ex- I was actually really excited for it to just be done because the training was like, the, tr- the, the training was harder than the actual day itself. Like mm. on the, the, on the day itself, it's easy because you've got the support of so many people. You've got like everyone around you. You've got people that give a shit. Whereas like when you're training, like I had sessions that were like six hours on a bike in my room on a Sunday by myself like that's what's mentally hard not like it's not hard when there's people clapping you and cheering you on it's hard doing it when nobody else is watching so what are you saying and I'm, I'm going to be more interested to hear this on the actual race day itself mm. but what is it you're saying to yourself when you're doing a six-hour cycle in your room by yourself mm. in front of nobody and your body is screaming Jack, yeah. stop, stop moving, get off the bike, go yeah. sit on the couch. What are you saying to yourself? Um, so I, I, I just think back to how I felt when I was 15 and when I was first diagnosed. So when I was first diagnosed, I really was feeling quite unhappy and quite sad in terms of that I just had this condition and felt like I couldn't go on and complete any like big task or I couldn't go and like push my limits because this condition was going to hold me back. So I was just like, I'd always do this thing where I'd like, I talked to myself a lot as I was training. I was like, just think, I was like, think about the other people with diabetes that are going to be diagnosed, that are going to hear about this. And it's going to give them that inspiration to go and complete them, complete a, like a run or a cycle or inspire them to go to the gym for a session. It was, it was all about, 
how what I was doing was going to help other people. That, that was like the only thing in my mind. Um, I often, I often think a lot about my little brother. So my little brother, like I'm very aware that he, he looks up to me and he's got me on this like pedestal and he really respects everything that I do. And he's doing really well at the minute and he's, he's actually training to, to join the army. And I, I just, I would often think about how it was really important that I kept going when things were getting hard because that's how I want him to be as well. So, um, yeah, I was, I, I, I had a lot of, a lot of different people in my thought process when I was doing the training. It kind of ties into how you felt back when, you started really taking control of your diabetes and that responsibility of I need to look after my health because there are clients looking up to me and I need to prove mm. that this mm. can be done and you need to look after your health and you need to prioritize your health. So it's almost like I feel like I can sort of use it now to my advantage being like, well, I have a condition that like even to maybe other diabetics, like if someone's like, oh, you know, I can't do this because I'm diabetic and I'm like, well, why not? I did this and I'm diabetic. Like my diabetes didn't stop me. Like the only thing that would have stopped me was like, like my mental strength or my physical strength. It wasn't the diabetes, the diabetes. Like you, and, and that's the thing is that I feel like now that I've done this, I've proved to not just myself, but to hopefully other people that like diabetes isn't a condition that will always affect you physically because I've been able to push my body to that extremes and complete something of that sort of scale and diabetes didn't stop that couldn't agree more i think and even even from my own perspective it's important that you view diabetes as something look it's not a condition that anybody wants to be diagnosed with but if you are it doesn't stop you from doing the things that you want to do and you're a perfect example of that so speaking of diabetes how were you preparing for the race around your blood sugars because a lot of the time <laughs> uh, there are diabetics out there I'd who lo- struggle I'd, is there any way that is there any way that i can share a picture in here you can send it to me you can send it to me but what have what was the food that you were taking what how are you planning yeah. to so i had this routine where i was eating 15 grams of carbs every 15 minutes for the duration of the day now the, the the day was like 16 hours long so as you can imagine it was an unholy amount of food um i mean like sports nutrition is a very interesting topic right that's in your that's going to be in your instagram any second and so everything in that picture is what i consumed on the day let me take a look at this so jack has just sent me a photo through instagram <laughs> Okay, you ate all of that? Okay, so we have <laughs> bananas, a bag of oranges, jam tarts, four yeah. sandwiches, four boxes yeah. of cakes, about <laughs> 10 bags of jelly babies, glucose gels. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's a lot of food. So this was yeah. an, an attempt to keep so, your blood sugar from dropping while you're doing the race. So my, and, and again, this is, this, is where, this is where we can have a bit of a laugh about it because it's not how I'd recommend anybody else to do it if they're training for an Ironman. So where having diabetes makes you so different from a regular person doing cardiovascular training is that like, so let's use the example of an an average person goes out for a run. 
the the two controllables for them is whether their body can physically do it and whether they actually want to do it which is their like them their sort of like mental state towards the whatever their goal is whatever they're trying to achieve the thing with trying to do an ultra endurance event as a type 1 diabetic is that you have the physical you have the mental but then you also have this third element which is the diabetes and specifically your blood sugar control which is can you keep your blood sugars in a range that is going to be able to mean that you can then just worry about the physical and the mental side of things. So for me, I basically had no idea how many grams of carbs I needed every hour to fuel the activity that I was doing. Like because I hadn't ever swam before, I didn't know the I didn't know the toll that that activity was taking on my blood sugar levels. So then I didn't know how to fuel for it. Same as the cycling and same as like the, the long distance running. So I basically went in with the approach of I'm going to be over-prepared. I'm going to take enough things that if my levels drop to like 0.9, I've got enough to recover from any hypo. And it was literally just a case of trial and error. So I had some sessions where I would take on 30 grams of carbs every hour. And if I found that I was going a little bit low, I'd be like, right, I'm going to take 50 grams of carbs every hour. If that was bringing me down like half a unit, couple of, couple, sorry, like half a, half a, half, yeah, half a unit, couple of units. I'd be like, right, the, the, this amount of carbs has this effect on my blood sugar levels. X amount of carbs has this effect on my blood sugar levels. And then just finding out what was like, uh, comfortable blood sugar levels to be at for the day and what I needed to roughly eat to maintain it. Now, the difficulty that I had was that as my body was getting fitter and my body was making adaptations to training, these numbers were, were scrambled. So let, let, let's say like in like week one of training to move at like, let's, let's use the example of like to move at an eight minute mile, my body might have been burning through like a hundred grams of carbs, which was great because then I knew that if I was running at an eight minute mile, I would need like a hundred grams of carbs every hour if I was doing that for an hour and my blood sugars would stay fine. The issue was, is that as I was getting fitter, my body was obviously getting more efficient. So it wasn't needing as much energy to fuel that event. So let's say at this point, I then needed maybe like 60, 70 grams of carbs to fuel that hour of exercise. So then my levels were like rising up a little bit. So as I was getting fitter, it was like harder for me to gauge what I needed to fuel the event. So on the day, it was just a case of like, check your levels every hour, eat every 15 minutes. And then in an hour, if there's something wrong, we're just going to adjust the next hour to facilitate that. I didn't, and, and this is where like I would, if I was to do it again, and I, I, I would like to do another Ironman, I'm going to go in at the complete other end and have like, I mean, this is, this is your, your laugh. I, I was finger pricking the whole day. <laughs> well, that's um, something that, jumped out at me during the documentary yeah. was he doesn't yeah, just, just have think- to worry about his blood sugar he doesn't have a cgm <laughs> so jack was doing this whole challenge over what 10 12 16 hours whatever it was and he was finger pricking the whole time so he was in the water didn't have a cgm he was on the bike didn't have a cgm and he was running a marathon and didn't have a cgm so were you just mm. gauging it off how you felt physically uh for for a lot of it yeah so actually fun fact i didn't test once on the run for the whole marathon for the whole marathon i didn't test i had a friend who was driving in his car alongside me and he just had a load of sachets and his wife very kindly was basically just saying drink this 
drink this, drink this. And that's all I did for the run. And what were your levels after the run? I know we're jumping ahead. Um, yeah, I mean, they were, they, they were, they were weird. I, man, I, I honestly, I, I wish I could, I wish I could begin to even explain how I felt after it. <laughs> I, um, it was, it was just odd. My levels were like, so I was really scared afterwards that my levels were just going to have like a massive crash and that in the middle of the night, they were going to like just drop really low. I mean, like, thankfully they didn't. I remember coming back and I think I had like a, like a really mild hypo. I was like 3.9 or something like that. Um, so I just had some sweet, like just like a, like a handful of sweets before bed and like actually surprisingly they were fine. Um, what I found is that like after the event, I was, I just felt really quite ill for like a day and then I was fine. So you just kind of recovered. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I mean, you I mean you yeah, I mean like obviously the, the, the challenge that I did and the amount of exercise in the day was like, it was always going to be difficult to recover from. And like the recovery was always going to be like, like some time. Um, so I mean, <laughs> so when when I was when I was running, you see you see in the documentary, I start to cry at one point, and I basically was so fatigued by this point in the run that I was frightened that I would never be able to return to like a regular state. Like I thought I'd done like permanent damage to myself on the run. It turns out I was just like severely severely exhausted. But like I basically was convincing myself in that moment that whenever I would stop moving, whenever that was, that I was just going to die and I wasn't going to wake back up. Yeah. Um, the moment when you, I suppose the few scenes where you're running and you're finishing the marathon, which is obviously the end of the Ironman, that yeah. was the time where it seemed as if you were struggling the most, but not struggling in a way that you were going to stop. It was almost like yeah. you were outside of your body. It was like, it was kind of like you were yeah. hallucinating through the last, the last yeah. part of the so run. Like, so like you, you, you'll, you'll hear like ultra endurance athletes say that they hallucinate and like, seriously it happens. Like you just experience things that you don't otherwise experience like in, in normal everyday life. Like I was really irritable. Like people speaking around me and like hearing noises was like honestly the most infuriating thing that's at the time but I mean like how ridiculous is that like I was really bothered by people talking to me that's that's not like me at all but in the moment like when people were talking to me I was like biting their biting their heads off being like just shut up I don't know why it's 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 something that like I'd love to know a little bit more about but so were you in a state at that time to still consciously make the decision to keep going and were you still having that conversation in your head of I'm doing this regardless of the pain yeah or? I knew I so in my head I wouldn't have stopped for anything like like I wouldn't have stopped for anything I you know I had told myself that I will keep going until my body physically cannot so like every single step of the run felt horrendous like there wasn't one step of the run that felt nice but I, I wasn't gonna I wasn't gonna stop I wasn't gonna stop until like my body body like physically keeled over um that was just how I was thinking on the day and um yeah that's why what I continue to do do you think you would have done it if you weren't diabetic mm, I wouldn't have had a reason to 
So do you feel as if you're more determined because I you are like, diabetic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like I have a point to prove. And I feel like, I almost feel like it's sort of like my calling. And I feel, and you know, you know, I, I genuinely do believe that everything happens for a reason. And maybe that reason for me was that I was somebody that was able to, uh, I suppose, manage a condition like diabetes and hopefully improve the lives of others by, by working through it. And I mean, I've, I've had so many incredible messages from people being like, Oh, I've watched the documentary and I now feel like I want to go for a run. And if it like, even if it's something as simple as that, that is, that brings so much satisfaction and so much joy to me that it just fires me on to do more. Um, like all I ever, and that, 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 that's the main message of it is it's not, it, it's not, I'm not, uh, by any means telling every single diabetic that they need to go and squat 200 kilos and do an Ironman. All I'm saying is, is that as a type one diabetic, you should never use your diabetes as an excuse because it is a, it is an excuse that you can genuinely use all the time. Like, honestly, I've used my diabetes as a get out of jail free card <laughs> so many times. Man, I, I remember, I, like, literally, when I, when I was in secondary school, I, I'd be like to a teacher, I'd be like, oh, miss, I'm not feeling great. It's my diabetes. And they'd be like, oh, my gosh, we ring your mom, do you want to go home? And I'd be like, yes, mission complete. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, half day, any great. day I want. Yeah, li- literally. Like, it's like, and, and, but like, the thing is, is, I was very aware of this when I was like, I, I'm, I'm, I am very aware of it. Like, as a PT, there were days where I would wake up and I physically would not want to go into work and to train my client. So I messaged my client, hey, whatever, had a really bad night with my diabetes, can we reschedule? And they'd be like, oh yeah, that's fine, absolutely. And it was only sort of at that point when I realized, I was like, I'm using it as an excuse. It's not a valid excuse. Like I, I shouldn't be allowed to get away with this. But because not enough people know enough about diabetes, they think that they like can get away with it and whatever. And it's like, it's an okay thing. And I wasn't okay with it, which is why I then took my excuse of, I can't do this, this and this because I'm diabetic and just threw it out the window and was like, I am going to do it with diabetes and I'm, and I'm going to own it. Mm. Um, You turned it from an excuse into a reason. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. And um, I think that's my sort of message to, to people who are maybe like just interested in looking after their own health, it's just like if you've got diabetes, that is unfortunate, but it is by no means an excuse to stop you from living an active and a healthy lifestyle. And for people that aspire to achieve a little bit more, it's what is your two hundred kilo squat in your Iron Man? What's gonna push you what's gonna push you like like how I was pushed? What's um what's your thing? What's your limit? You know, it could be a business related thing it could be something much smaller it could be a 10k it could be a 5k it could even be just getting out the house and going for a walk if that's something that you're currently putting off um but that that that's the main message that i i sort of hope to continue to share so you do you feel that managing your diabetes ties in with having a specific goal yeah so i i think you know Health is something that should be at like, or, or at least in like everybody's priority list in terms of like things to manage because 
even if you look at like the current situation with the virus and the increase in like depression and obesity and anxiety, it's like all of these things are affecting somebody's health. And we're now starting to see the implications of when things go wrong with people's health, things go wrong with everything else. So taking, taking like your health and putting it in a, in a priority position and manage it and like managing whatever you, what, like diabetes or not everybody has mental health everybody has physical health everybody has social health and it's it should be in everybody's interest to manage their health as best as they can so for me now like i appreciate that diabetes is something that i have to live with and because i have to live with it i will make sure that it's managed to the best of my ability and that's what i think people should be doing anyway like regardless of if they've got diabetes or not is just manage your health to the best that you can get it because when you're in good health everything else sort of tends to follow in that way um in terms of you you think like if if you don't have very good health it will then affect the way that you feel it'll affect the way that you move it'll affect your opinions on things it, it affects everything um and that that's why i am sort of like so grateful that I, I work in helping people improve their health is that it's something that i genuinely believe to be so important it is 100%. You can't live a healthy life in any regard. Is it work, business, relationships? Whatever. You aren't healthy in your mind and your body. Mm. That is exactly it. That is exactly it. And you need, and I think a lot of it, even for, from my own perspective, again, I have learned to appreciate my health a lot more directly as a result of being diagnosed with type 1 mm. because you quickly see how fragile your health can be with this condition. If you learn to prioritize it, which everyone should do, you understand that, whoa, when I feel good in my head, when I feel good in my body, when I look after my blood sugars, yeah. everything else seems to fall into place that bit better. Yeah, yeah I completely agree. So, completely agree. Jack, you have done this insane challenge. Do you have mm-hmm. any other plans for another insane challenge in the future? What's next? Yeah, I, I, I do. So I want to go um, more now really into a challenge that's going to align with, I think, sort of like how I want to grow a business. And for me, it's going to be combining sort of like like powerlifting, if you like, with with running and with triathlon. So the next goal for me, I'm not going to specify any numbers, but it's going to be a pretty big deadlift followed by a marathon. Um, I'll just tell you because <laughs> why not? <laughs> yeah, um, I want to. I want to deadlift 300 kilos and then run a three-hour marathon in the same weekend. All power to you. I don't doubt you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's 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 what I want to do. But again, like who knows? I could just be sat here being completely naive, and I could have bitten off something that actually isn't doable um well look but you've done it once you can do it again well that's how i see it 100 so. <laughs> so right. that, that's what that's what i that's what i want to do jack i always like to finish with a question that keeps diabetes on the positive side of things obviously you have been mm-hmm. doing that but if you had the opportunity to thank your diabetes for something what would that be I would thank my diabetes for, I suppose, giving me the power to, or giving me the reason 
to go on and achieve something more that I otherwise wouldn't have. I think without diabetes, I wouldn't have a reason to do any, anything that I do. I think it's definitely given me a sense of purpose. And actually I, in, in not, not to do with the condition, but I am grateful for having it in terms of the way that it's affected my mindset and probably like helped mold the person that I am. I am grateful for how it has done that. Um, so yeah, that's my, that's my thing. Nice one. I love it. Couldn't agree more. So Jack, where can people, first of all, see the documentary and where can people uh, so the learn documentary a bit more about is you? Called, the documentary is called Sweet Suffering and that is on Amazon Prime. And then the Instagram is UK. Good stuff. Jack, thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate your Thank time. Thank you so much, mate. Listen, I'll chat to you soon. And uh, best of luck in the future. I look forward to seeing your deadlift and your marathon. <laughs> Cheers, <laughs> Thank mate. you. Take it easy you too bye bye how's it going as usual just dropping in to say a few words before i let you go hope you enjoyed the episode i think jack perfectly outlines how diabetes shouldn't stop you from doing anything that you want to do the iron man that he did was insane and the main theme and the main point that i want to get across from this podcast which i'm sure you've you've gathered from at this stage from all the guests that i have on is i want to show people that diabetes shouldn't stop you from doing what it is you want it shouldn't be your excuse it should be your reason to do something it should be a reason to prove that you can do whatever it is you want despite having type 1 diabetes it just makes it slightly more difficult but it is possible no matter what you want to do so again thank you for listening to the podcast really appreciate it and as always if you do get value from this podcast be sure to listen back to all the episodes if you haven't listened just yet there is now 50 of them we're coming up on the one year so i'm excited for that one i have to say but as always rate comment subscribe tell your friends tell your parents tell your kids tell your cousins tell your pets get everybody listening to the podcast because the more diabetics we reach the better that's that's the goal of the podcast so really appreciate you listening have a fantastic week Mind your blood sugars, do what you need to do, I will chat to you soon, take it easy.